Well, hey, everybody, it's Kevin Stevenson. You've joined me on I Don't Care on Market Scale Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We've got a really interesting uh, guest today with us. Uh, it's Clive Smith. He's the founder and CEO of Think Labs. And Clive's going to talk to us a little bit about uh, electronic stethoscopes. Kind of a different subject for us here on I Don't Care. And so, Clive, welcome. Uh, we're happy to have you. Yeah, thanks. Great to be here. Thanks so much. Uh, so Clive, tell us a little bit about Think Labs and how you got into, into this industry. Yeah, so, uh, so my background is uh, electrical engineering and I always had an interest in medical electronics. And uh, many years ago, I was doing some research and discovered that, that stethoscope audio, stethoscope acoustics hasn't changed in like 200 years. Uh, somebody had done a study that I was reading that did some tests on the acoustics of stethoscopes and they made a replica of the original French invention from 1816 and they found that modern stethoscopes essentially sounded the same as what was invented in 1816 which kind of stood to reason because all a stethoscope is is a hollow pipe. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that had changed was a little bit of the details of it going from one pipe to two pipes and being a flexible pipe instead of a, a wooden cylinder. So I looked at this and I thought I've got a background in electronics and signal processing and it shouldn't be difficult to uh, come up with something that's essentially going to detect the sound from the human body, the heart and the lung sounds, amplify them, clean them up, filter them, process them and get much, much better sound. Okay. And so that's how I got started. I thought it was going to be, uh, you know, something that was going to be interesting. The stethoscope is the single most used medical device on the planet. So it seemed like it was a good market. And uh, that's how I got going. And I spent uh, eight years doing the research and development to get the sound to the level that I wanted it to be. I've always been something of an audiophile. I'm a you know, sort of, you know, amateur musician. So sound has always been important near and dear to my heart. So I was pretty, you know, discriminating in terms of what level of sound I thought would be acceptable before we could put this in the market. So spent many years doing research and then put a stethoscope on the market in about 2003, 2004, around okay. that time. And we've been in that electronic stethoscope market ever since. Interesting. Very interesting. So, you know, reading, reading your bio, you've obviously uh, been able to utilize this in some, uh, some previous uh, many pandemics, but nothing like what we've got right now. So, so talk to me a little bit about how uh, how you, it, this was used, say, back uh, in, during the Ebola crisis. Uh, but then let's transition into, you know, I'm sure just an explosive market right now due to COVID. Let's let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So in 2014, there was the Ebola outbreak, and mm -hmm. that got a lot of press here because we, you know. Uh, doctors, Americans were flown to the United States to get treated in these biocontainment units, which are essentially everybody has now seen what PPE looks like and what, you know, these COVID wards look like. And when it came to Ebola, that was, you know, that was kind of 10x level where, you know, there were only two or three centers in the country that were equipped to have these really, really isolated facilities for mm -hmm. Ebola. And so those physicians were, uh, were basically looking for a solution where they could listen to their patients and still be very well protected in PPE 
with these really, really, you know, high grade um, sort of hazmat type suits from these incredibly dangerous contagious patients. So we got into that, they contacted us and um, the, the, the medical center at the University of Nebraska, which is a high grade biocontainment center, Johns Hopkins, Emory University, mm -hmm. next to the CDC. So they got into using our stethoscope with PPE in a way where they would be fully protected from their patients. Okay, so so let me let me step back a little bit. Talk to my talk to my uh, listeners and viewers a little bit more about you know what does your stethoscope look like? You know, electronic. You know, let's talk a little bit about the mechanisms. Yeah. So if you think of just a little piece that goes against the chest, that goes mm -hmm. on the you know people know about the stethoscope being this a device that essentially has got a, a round piece that goes on the chest. Then there's a, there's a rubber tubing that goes up to mm -hmm. a couple of metal, you know, uh, tubes, which go into the doctor's ears. That's the normal structure of a stethoscope. Right. Our stethoscope is just think of the little chest piece area. It's a little round puck and mm -hmm. it's about two inches across and about an inch high. And it plugs into any kind of headphone. So it can plug into, you know, earbud headphones and it can plug into proper over the ear noise canceling beats mm -hmm. or bows or, you know, those kinds of headphones. So we have a very different form factor and we essentially innovated a form factor of a stethoscope that looked nothing like a regular stethoscope. Hmm. And that was really our advantage. In Ebola, you've got these people in these suits and what they can do is that they can essentially put these earbuds in their ears they can string the a cable through their hazmat suit out of the, you know, keep everything completely sealed and plug into the stethoscope. And essentially they're completely sealed from the environment. Hmm. So okay. it were, that was the, that was the advantage that we brought to the table was this, we, we broke the form factor and therefore created a different kind of function. And okay. that was what the, that was the key in the Ebola uh, era. Interesting. Okay, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I wanted I wanted my folks to understand really what this looked like. So so let's go. You know, going back to that. So uh, you know, obviously, I was in Dallas during Ebola in 2014 and saw some of the issues that they came about at Texas Health Presby, um, and know a number of people that worked there at the time. So anything? What did you learn from that? Uh, how, were you able to adapt your equipment because of that? Did you see some issues that they came about? So <clears throat> that's a really good question. So what we learned was that you have to innovate with your customers. They're in a new real-time situation where they have to start working out how to do something. The Ebola patients have never been treated in the United States. Mm -hmm. um, and they had to figure out ways to you know, use PPE use a lot of the training that was really, you know, just, you know, preparation for a situation and innovate in terms of how they were going to monitor these patients, how they were going to listen to these patients. And it's one of these things where suddenly you realize, well, actually, how are we going to listen to the patient? We need to listen to their lungs. We need to listen to their heart. Mm -hmm. So what we did was that we learned to, what did we learn? We learned that you have to work with your customers and with frontline users and with some of the people who are really at the cutting edge of solving a problem in real time, in an emergency and figure things out really, really quickly. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of the, the very challenging thing of real time problem solving. You're essentially in kind of a war situation where it's like, what have we got to defend ourselves? 
And, and that was the mindset that we had when, when um, COVID-19 came along. It was like, okay, we've seen this before. Obviously, now this is a different situation. The scale is going to be different, but we've seen this before. And what we did was that we immediately started doing this real-time solution mm-hmm. um, approach to things. And what we did was that the problems were different. We knew about PPE. We knew about isolation. We knew about innovation. We knew about cleaning and sterilizing stethoscopes. There were all these things that we already knew. And a lot of these biocontainments, people already knew us. We had relationships with a whole lot of these people. So they immediately came to us. And then a whole lot of new people came to us to help them solve the problem. But now we had new problems. We had things Mm -hmm. like, we had the usual stuff that was going on in ICUs with isolation or kind of thing, similar to Ebola. And then they were saying, we've got people doing drive-through testing. We need to listen to their chests when they're in a vehicle. The physician has to be further away. We've got a shortage of PPE. We can't just have wear PPE and go into the room because now we're short of, do you remember what a shortage of PPE there was in, in you know, in Absolutely. April, May? Um, that was a crisis. How do, we, how do we do this and save PPE? Oh, if we can get the nurse to go into the room, you know, what can we do? Oh, well, if you send the nurse into the room and the, you know, the nurse is seeing the patient anyway, so they're wearing PPE anyway, but you're the physician, we can do things like run cables out of the room and you can listen from outside the room and not, and you don't have to uh, put PPE on. Or we can do, we can give you Bluetooth transmitters that will transmit outside the room. Or you can do telemedicine, which we've got experience with. And you can do telemedicine, you know, people think of telemedicine, home to office, clinic to clinic, rural area to hospital. Mm -hmm. But if you want to, you can do, you can do telemedicine from inside the room to outside the room if you need to do that because PPE was so incredibly valuable. Mm-hmm. So these were the real time solution. It was just like, okay, what do we do about that? Okay, what about this? What about this? What about this? And then we started you know, sharing information between our customers. If a customer worked out a solution, we would share it with other customers. Mm-hmm. So that was the kind of thing we were doing. It was incredibly stressful trying to both solve problems in a new way, come up with solutions, um, the, the, the demand for the device just multiplied overnight. Supply chains were strained mm-hmm. because the planes weren't flying. You had to bring in goods from various places in order to do, we do our own manufacturing, but you still need no, raw materials and parts from your right. suppliers. Your suppliers might be shut down. Your suppliers are dealing with COVID. The, that, holds, that was just unbelievably stressful. No, you're exactly right. We faced, we faced all, obviously all of the same challenges here at my hospital with a wide variety of issues with suppliers and with transportation and obviously PPE as well. Okay, so one thing that, I, that I'm trying to, to wrap my head around. All right, so you've got, you've got the disc that goes against the patient's body. Okay, right. how, are you, how are you keeping that? Is there, is there like a, a protective device over that? How are you keeping that sterilized? How are you, you know, talk to me a little bit about that because I'm, I'm having a little disconnect with, yeah. with that. Okay, so there are two pieces of that. <clears throat> the one part is that you have got, as I said, you've got the situation where you can keep people at a distance. Exactly, okay, I got things, that. So you can stay at a distance from the patient using extension cables, Bluetooth, mm-hmm. things like that. That's one thing. 
you can you can uh, you know wear PPE and you know you can you can transmit in, in through the PPE and you can listen as well. When it comes to keeping the device clean, so first of all, you can clean the device itself with alcohol wipes and okay. you know, all these other kinds of bleach wipes and things like that. So you can clean the device. Um, and we had gained experience with some of those kinds of things as well. <clears throat> How do you keep a device clean? So the one thing was that we'd gone through a lot of testing with biocontainment and like bioweapons labs and people like that had actually taken our stethoscope you know, in the intervening time after, after Ebola, and they had put it through its paces with various kinds of sterilization techniques. So we knew that our device could survive all sorts of incredibly hazardous kind of cleaning processes, and it would still continue working. So we knew that to be true, because mm -hmm. that had been tested. Um, and then there was the really simple stuff that people had figured out in Ebola, or in, in fact, in Ebola, they didn't really use this, but they had still done tests for possible future biocontainment events where what if they put the stethoscope inside a Ziploc bag? Could they keep it clean? And we, there had been a study done, which we could then tap into where somebody had put 10 Ziploc bags over our device and they found that the sound quality had not diminished. Okay. So we could now share that with our customers and we could say to them, well, what you can do is that you could go, Ziploc over Ziploc over Ziploc over Ziploc. You've got these patients coming into the ER. You basically start with 10 Ziplocs. You pull the outside yeah. one out. You pull the next one off. They pull the next one off. So now, guess what? You can use Ziplocs if, you're, if you find that you're short of gloves. Now you can put it into a, a latex glove as well. But if you've got glove shortages, well, now you can just go to Ziplocs and things like that. So the, this is the kind of real-time problem solving that you sure. have to do in the middle of a war, basically. We looked at this, we looked at this as a war right mm -hmm. from the beginning. Well, and yeah. you just answered the question that I had was, you know, what sort of, of sound degrading would happen if you were to wrap it? So, so thanks for anticipating that question. So, yeah. so okay, uh, so now, now do you only have the electronic stethoscopes? Do you have any other medical devices that you've developed? We always had an interest in going to other medical devices, interestingly. Mm -hmm. However, as we developed expertise in electronic stethoscopes, in digital stethoscopes, we kept on getting people coming to us for more and more specialized questions. And we developed this deeper and deeper and deeper knowledge in this area. So what we've become is we've become world specialists in stethoscopes and electronic stethoscopes. So even though we thought it would be interesting to go into adjacent markets where our sales channels would be common and mm -hmm. our customers would be common and all that kind of thing, what we found is that the more specialized we become, the more uh, value we add in such a specialized area that it's just kept us there, which doesn't mean we won't necessarily go into other areas in the future, mm -hmm. but we haven't thus far because we've had such demands on our expertise in this particular area and we've had so much value to offer that so far that's where we've been. Okay, great. So you're talking about becoming more specialized in stethoscopes. Talk to me a little bit about that. What have, what have, you, what have you enhanced, changed, or whatever in your basic stethoscope? A lot of the fundamental acoustic technology is still what it was at the beginning. We, that eight years that I spent researching getting the highest performance in acoustics 
that has, has been a foundation for us all the way. We've been the specialists and the leaders in mm-hmm. the quality of sound right from the beginning. Kind of, um, you know, I don't know how much you remember about the history of Bose, but Amar Bose invented the Bose 901s. Mm-hmm. which were these direct reflecting loudspeakers that filled the room with sound. And essentially that created the DNA of acoustics for Bose. And from that, you kind of, you know, piggyback on top of your DNA. So the DNA that we established in terms of sensing sound from the body was established right at the beginning. It was a, a deep investment. And that has, is our foundation. Going forward, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be expanding the models that we offer for different kinds of, you know, applications and things like that. But Mm -hmm. what I tend to do is I tend to engineer a design. If I bring out a design, I tend to engineer a design with a lot of flexibility in it so that really it can adapt to different situations. So what we've managed to do is we've managed to do with the current model of Think Labs 1 by making it an open general device that's got a headphone jack on it, that's got mm-hmm. general purpose, um, open application, it's been able to adapt really, really well to telemedicine, to you know, different kinds of headphones, to different uses where you need to connect it into USB interfaces and all mm-hmm. this kind of thing. And we haven't had to make those changes. It's more a matter of designing solutions around a very, very versatile product. Okay. Very good. Uh, okay, crazy question. Obviously, I'm here in Texas. We've had a little bit of a weather event over the last week, snowpocalypse. We've noticed. I'm sure you have. So does your device, what kind, what kind of weather extreme temperature can, you, can your device function uh, within? It's got a pretty broad temperature range. It's specified... I believe between, you know, about freezing point and, you know, 100, 110 degrees or something like that. So it's a normal range. What can it really do? We can't really, in in the medical world, you can't make claims that you're not willing to back up. But needless to say, um, you know, we're in Colorado. We're no strangers to cold weather. And we've done tests with this device, which... As I say, they're not in our specifications, so we can't make those claims. Mm-hmm. But we, aren't, we, we, we are no strangers to the kind of weather that you've been experiencing in Texas. Okay. Well, I, I didn't think so. I knew you were in Colorado, but uh, it was funny. You mentioned freezing to 110. Here in Texas, that could be in one day. Uh, yeah. so, so what, you know, from your perspective, what new technology do you see on the horizon uh, that, that is kind of in your world that is going to be developed for, you know, God forbid, any future pandemics or, or any kind of, oh, telemedicine, remote medicine? What are you seeing? What's next gen type stuff? So, you know, I think there's been quite a lot of coverage of, the, of some of the things that are coming. Mm-hmm. Telemedicine is, is, is here to stay. That will, you know, evolve into much more remote patient monitoring the digital health products that were coming along, you know, the Fitbits and the Apple watches and mm-hmm. those kinds of things. Um, the Alive cores, those sort of devices that are, you know, people can use for home monitoring. That kind of thing is all going to evolve. People have now, they're familiar with pulse oximeters, you know, blood pressure monitors have been in, in the home for decades already. Mm-hmm. The difference is going to be to a large extent, 
what what COVID has been has been an accelerant and an amplifier and a catalyst for things that were already there. Mm -hmm. So that's really what's going on is that things that were kind of moving along, not really being widely adopted. It's a very conservative healthcare is a very conservative market. And what happens is you get into a crisis, you have to innovate the way we were discussing. And suddenly it's like, well, we weren't really that interested in telemedicine, but now it's the only thing we've got. So we're going to do it. Exactly. Now suddenly the patient finds out what telemedicine is. Telemedicine isn't just this word that's known as a point of jargon in the industry. Suddenly everybody, you know, you know, the, the, you know, the person at home knows what the word telemedicine means. They've been on a video call. They're using Zoom. You know, these are all the things. So what happened was that it, it was a catalyst or an accelerant to basically push that into the mainstream. So telemedicine is here to stay. The digital health products that were kind of around anyway, that people were sort of, the, you know, the, the, the early adopters and the innovators were using is now going to be more mainstream. That will lead to more remote monitoring. That will integrate remote monitoring into electronic health records. And then what happens is that you generate too much data for the doctors to look at, which then begets the real need for AI in healthcare so that you've got algorithms that can essentially be scanning all these tens of millions, hundreds of millions of remote patient monitoring pieces of data that are coming into a patient record. How's anybody ever going to look at it? Mm -hmm. So that will eventually beget AI. Um, AI, there's a lot of claims made about AI, but in the reality, AI is not really being used extensively. It's very early days for AI. Mm -hmm. So it's, it'll come along. It'll take a little bit of time. We don't know when, um, but all those things are going to happen. But the beginning, the beginning thing is going to be, you know, much more telemedicine, digital mm -hmm. health, home health, that kind of thing is going to be more common. Now I, I, you're you're dead on with that. We were I was talking about that very same thing with some some of my colleagues today, as far as just the evolution of telemedicine, particularly here in Texas over the last you know certainly over the last year. But telemedicine or Texas was not very uh, open to telemedicine until uh, very recently. And yeah, but I, I will I will if I can say I yeah, will please. tell you that UTMB was doing telemedicine in a big way. Mm -hmm. Uh, and has been an innovator. Like one of the national centers of research has actually been, you know, UTMB has actually done a lot of stuff in that work for, for decades already. So there have been areas, I mean, obviously Texas has amazing healthcare systems, right. you know, in various places. You know, Houston is a world center of healthcare mm -hmm. in various ways. No, you, and and you're right. I, I think I was I was speaking more towards the state of Texas and the regulatory environment that was mm -hmm. not as open uh, towards telemedicine. You know, we've seen that certainly in, in things like uh, tele-rehab, teletherapies, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and, and fortunately that's, that COVID has progressed that uh, during the last few months. And, and, and I agree with you, telemedicine is certainly hit or stay. I was at a, a rural, uh, relatively rural hospital 20 years ago where we utilized telemedicine extensively for our large market, but, yeah, I, I think the adoption of this, because so many people are, you know, I, I think the long-term effect of COVID and people not wanting to really go into their physician office or their or, their, or a hospital uh, is going to continue to to help uh, telemedicine grow. And so yeah. glad to hear about that. So yeah, well, yeah. yeah, go ahead, please. 
you know, telemedicine essentially is one of those obvious good ideas which just needed to become a commonplace thing. Mm -hmm. And for years, I've been essentially saying that, you know, telemedicine is the sort of, it's the Amazon of healthcare. And, and, and what I meant by that was essentially that what you would say, you would say to people um, in 1996, right? You would say to people, how do you feel about buying a book online from Amazon? And they said, mm, I'd, I'd rather go to the bookstore, get a cup of coffee, look at the books, sure. relax and all that. It's a whole experience. I'm not going to do that. And then slowly but surely people find, you know, that they can get a book in 48 hours. And then you say, like, how do you feel about getting books online versus the bookstore? And they say, you know, it's so convenient. I'm going to get in 48 hours. If I bought it in a store, I probably wouldn't crack it open for a few days or a few weeks mm -hmm. anyway. Might as well order it online. So they get used to online ordering as being just too convenient. Right. So what happens is, you know, before people experience telemedicine, you say to them, how do you feel about telemedicine? They say, yeah, I want to see my doctor face to face. I want to look him in the eye or her in the eye. I'd rather have the experience you know, et cetera, et cetera. This is a, you know, there's an experience and I, I wouldn't want to do it remotely. It's too impersonal. Same as ordering a book is too impersonal. Mm -hmm. remotely. Then what happens is that people experience it and the, the logic flips upside down. You say to a patient, how do you feel about going to your doctor's office? And they say, oh, so what you're asking me is, do I want to do a telemedicine call at my kitchen table where essentially I don't have to go anywhere? Or are you asking me whether I'd like to drive through the snow park in a building in a, in a, in a huge, um, you know, parking structure, walk through a tunnel into a big hospital building, find the elevators, try and work out where to go to, to go to the doctor's office, go in there, sit in a waiting room with a bunch of sick people while the doctor's running late. Which one are you asking me is more convenient? Now suddenly the logic is flipped on its head. Exactly. It's not, well, I, I want to look the doctor in the eye. It's I, why would I go to a hospital? You know, and and the the description I'm making is because hospital, you know, healthcare is becoming more and more in the big centres and in big facilities. It's not so much the doctor's office in the little building anymore. That's right. That's exactly right. You know, healthcare is delivered locally, and how how much more local can you be than your own kitchen table, right? So, so Clive, any final comments before we close? No, I think we've covered, you know, a lot of the topics, you know, where we are, what's happened, how COVID has been, mm -hmm. um, and, and what the future of healthcare is. And I think that covers quite a lot of bases. And, you know, we just got to kind of stop and reflect on, on the, um, on the human toll of this whole thing, you know, when we talk about business and we talk about problem solving and all that, we lose the, we lose the human side of it. And we, we really need to remember that, you know, a half a million Americans have died, you know, I think two and a half million people around the world. Um, and the one question that, um, that people ask me or they make a comment like, Oh, wow. That, you know, this, this must've been so great to see all this growth or this must've been so much fun or, this must be so great to see, you know, the application of yours. And, and it's really important to say that the human toll has been really high. This was never fun. This was meaningful. It was meaningful to be able to help in a war. But we should never forget that it's been a war. There's been an incredible human toll. And, um, and you know, as much as we might have seen growth and all that kind of thing, like I say, it's meaningful to make a contribution to the country when things are needed. Mm -hmm. But um, but the human toll has been really, really high. And I would rather that didn't happen. 
Yes, I, I would agree with you, and I and I I like I like the word that you use, uh, meaningful, because we have all learned a great deal from this. Yeah. Uh, as you said, uh, we have been in a war. We've had to uh, make decisions on the fly uh, as yeah. best we can. Uh, but I think meaningful is a much better term than fun uh, in this. So yeah, yeah, it's 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 been a very difficult period, and I think we can look forward to hoping that at least there will be benefits. There will be technology yes. benefits and the vaccine development. Hopefully, we will lead to some biotech innovations against you know various viruses, and you know hopefully benefits come out of it because the toll has been very very high. You're exactly right. That's a, that's a good word to, uh, to leave on. Well, folks, my guest today has been Clive Smith uh, from Think Labs. Clive, again, thanks so much for joining us on I Don't Care. Really yeah, appreciate your insight. Great to um, talk to you. Good. Thank you so much. All right, uh, viewers and listeners, uh, don't forget, connect with me on LinkedIn, Kevin Stevenson, Kevin W. Stevenson on LinkedIn. Uh, my Twitter handle, KW Stevenson, S-T-E-V-E-N-S-O-N. Connect with me. That way you'll see, hey, who's coming up next on I Don't Care and some of my other, uh, my other comments that I might, might make along the way. You know how to hear us. We're every Friday morning at 930 Central Time on MarketScale Radio, marketscale.com. If you miss the quote-unquote live version, just go to Spotify and iTunes. And as I say every week in closing, if you haven't subscribed to I Don't Care with Kevin Stevenson, why not? So viewers and listeners, great to be with you again today, and we'll be talking next week. Bye.